All right, welcome to another uh, episode of Inappropriate Earl. It's a special 4th of July episode in honor of the uh, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest where people cheer contestants to an early death. Yeah. Uh, we have a very special uh, guest here. You know, we interview... Uh, comics, porn stars, uh, well-known actors, David Arquette, Stephen Piercing from Rat coming in, uh, you know, Bobby Brown, the cherry pie girl uh, next Monday. I mean, it's like a sneak preview coming attractions. Uh, So it'll be interesting because she doesn't really like Tawny Katane and Tawny Katane was one of the first big celebs I got for this show. But today's not about those ladies. It's not about Stephen Piercy. It's not about Don Fry, UFC legend. <laughs> it's about Jeremy Craven. Who's Jeremy Craven? No one knows. I'm Jeremy Craven. That's all right. I mean, yeah. like I said, we're not picky with guests here on Inappropriate Earl. Exactly. Like, if you can't get someone from Rat to come in, there's homeless people in the area you can pick up off the street, and I'm happy to be one step above that. Well, he actually yeah. hasn't come in yet. So, uh, you know, he's been, as you can see, I have a shrine dedicated to Stephen Piercy's career. Uh, and, every, and this is always here. No, no. I, uh, you know, I have my CD. I'm, I'm old school. I have CDs still. Yeah. And I also have a home answering machine. I, I was really excited by that. I texted you to come over, and I got a text back saying that the text was sent to a landline. So I Googled what a landline was, and I was like, this is incredible. People used to do this. I mean, I, uh, I'm i home a lot in the, in the daytime writing jokes, you know, editing podcasts, watching hot dog eating contests, reading biographies of 80s rockers. So I... I don't see the uh, the craziness in having a home line, but apparently uh, I get a lot of texts to my landline. For those of you who can't see this, what I'm looking at right now is a coffee table covered in CDs, books, and then what look like NHL trophies. No, no, those are my mini uh, ball hockey uh, scoring titles. Okay. I play in something called the SoCal Street Hockey Association. Ah, excellent, excellent. Is that with rollerblades? No, no, it's foot with feet. So you're on a roller rink, but you're playing on your feet. I like that because, like, hockey players are some of the toughest motherfuckers in the world, and rollerbladers, rollerbladers are some of the softest dudes on the face of the earth. So when it came down to figure out how to play not a nice, your league was like... Nah. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's actually harder to play on in your feet, on your feet, in your feet, because you have to run to get the ball. You know, yeah. on roller uh, skates, ice skates, you can kind of glide, and you know, any idiot can run. So yeah, you could be up against a guy who's never played before, and he could outrun you to the ball. So, mm. and guys have lost like one guy lost a testicle in our league. Wow, because the ball, you know, I shoot the ball around 100 miles an hour. Okay, 100 mph. It's an orange uh, plastic ball, so it can hurt, and they freeze it in ice, so it's hard. <laughs> they freeze it in ice? Oh, yeah. It's, Just it's, in case it hits a nut, they want to make sure it does the most damage. Maximum damage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've hurt guy. I hit one guy in the throat. I, I thought I killed him. Wow. Uh, so it's, but it's the only non-comedy thing I do. I don't know what, and we're going to get into it. Yeah. I don't know what your non-comedy uh, hobbies are, but that's like my one. And going to shitty 80s metal shows. Yeah. Well, so. I feel like that's where we're the same and different. I don't, I don't go to shows. Uh, I was a musician for a long time uh, because that's what got me laid when I was a teenager. But... um 
I think like we're both into metal, just different facets of it. You celebrate more of the hair side of metal, and I'm more into the side of metal where people growl like this and you can't understand what they're saying. Yeah, I'm not into that. Yeah, I, just, I have so much more anger than you. I like. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, the way my life has gone the last few years, uh, I'm not that happy-go-lucky guy. Uh, but, you know, I, that's why I listen to the type of music I do, because... Like you listen to Slayer, yeah, early Metallica, Deicide, In Flames, Cannibal Corpse, like yeah. all the classics. Napalm Death. Napalm Death is a little too belligerent for me. You know, yeah. I just I get angry when I listen to that music. Oh, like, yeah. like it pumps you up. It does what I think it's intended to do, which is yeah. just you know uh, turn you into a, a maniac. But you know, when you listen to Poison or. You know, Rat's album they did with Desmond Child, which is uh, full of just that 80s schlock, syrupy, butt rock ballads. And, and which one of that? Which one? That would be a Detonator. So Detonator. Detonator is I'm lo- I'm uh, through the, the over there. Um, Desmond Child, of course, one of the great uh, songwriters of our of all time. Yeah. I mean, wrote all of Aerosmith's hits. Oh wow. Co-wrote. You know, when they did their comeback. Uh, but a lot of people say he ruined Aerosmith because you know, he does the like Angel and Tell Me What It Takes to Let You Go type. Whatever. Bands like that always had songs for the ladies. Every metal band has a song for the ladies. Even death metal bands have ballads for the ladies. Well, that's yeah. what I would love to see Desmond Child get together with someone like a Cannibal Corpse. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, because he's written, uh, he wrote all the Kisses hits in the 80s. Uh, Ricky Martin. I mean, he's got this incredible... Uh, array of artists that he's worked with. But yeah. he, he writes hit. He's just a hit man. Yeah, even like Metallica's Black Album, I'd say half of that is hits for the ladies. Well, that's when yeah. they sold out, right? Or is yeah. that Load? No, Load is when they really sold out. Here's the thing with Load. If you showed me Load and told me and I didn't know who Metallica was, I'd be like, this album kind of kicks ass. I, I can drive fast and punch people to this. This right. is awesome. But after hearing Ride the Lightning, after hearing For Whom the Bell Tolls, um, after hearing uh, Kill Em All, after hearing Master of Puppets, um, Load is sounds exactly what it's named like. It sounds like a load. A load. <laughs> well, that's like a Kiss's uh, Carnival of Souls. If you don't tell anyone that's Kiss... It sounds just like a good Stone Temple Pilots record. Yeah. I mean, Kiss are the biggest bandwagoners ever. I mean, they went from, you know, a pop album and Unmasked, and they did a concept album like Pink Floyd, and then they did a heavy album because uh, they saw like Judas Priest was like the next thing coming, and, and then they, you know, went into the butt rock era. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm not a huge Kiss fan because I'm a huge Guar fan, and I see Kiss as like Guar for ladies. Like they dress up in the costumes, they put on the theatrics, you know, they borrow from metal, like both sides do. Except Guar, have you ever seen Guar live? I saw him at the House of Blues. Once. It's the greatest thing on the face of the earth. I mean, I'll say that I'll say yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a little too. Like, and the singer just died. Yeah, he just died. He started fucking around with heroin. What was his name? Odorous. Odorous Arungus. So. So, I mean, you know, they were a little too, uh, I I don't know, they were interesting. I, I, uh, you know, 
Wasp is about as wild as I'll go in terms of like the stage show and I think they threw uh, raw meat into the crowd. Yeah. Uh, no, but Guar, if no one's ever seen Guar, and you probably won't get a chance to now, they have cannons with several different types of uh, imagined bodily fluids. They have blood cannons and green cannons and white cannons, which I assume are cum. I don't know what the green is. It might be pus. I don't know. But uh, what does a band like Guar, do they, I mean, do they want to make it? Are they touring to like... Hey, and the next album will be a hit record, or no? Or do they just enjoy? They they enjoy the theatrics of it, and um, like Odorous was always one of those guys who was a make your own game type of dude, you know, which is why he had like a giant strap on monster dildo on all the time because like he didn't want to be a part of like the larger system that takes bands that you know, like are relatively good and then just like rips them apart and turns them into this sellable thing. He was like, no, I'll create my own game. So even even when Guar was like, no matter what label Guar was on, they didn't need a label. People would go see Guar because Guar created their own game. So they were uh, similar to, uh, I would say, Motorhead. Yeah. Who I love, you know, my ex-girlfriend manages them. So I just became a fan just out of seeing them a hundred times yeah you know and you had to have bumped into lemmy like seven thousand times in this area i gave him a ride to the dentist many a time oh nice so and he was great at nine in the morning i picked him up he lives just right down the street you know i live right by the rainbow for those of you uh not knowing where i live west hollywood and uh he by the first stop before the dentist not an was, actual rainbow with a pot of gold and a leprechaun it's a bar in west hollywood where hair metal still lives yeah oh yeah. it's the only that's the great thing about the rainbow no it's not that kind of rainbow that's one block uh to the south yeah <laughs> which is a big symbol in the gay community yeah for like putting wieners and butts well i still haven't figured out what it means but i guess uh my neighbor told me once that there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow but if you're cute the leprechaun will fuck you yeah see i I just slipped a joke in on the slide i like that and you know to be perfectly honest if i was at a bar and a gay dude who was also a midget who was also dressed in green was like i want to hit it i'd be like this should be on my bucket list (laughs) and you have a rainbow shirt on right now not the band with uh it's actually uh, two unicorns oh two unicorns humping yeah two unicorns fucking each other with a rainbow um you got a lot of balls wearing that shirt in this neighborhood i uh when i was younger i had i still have a lot of gay friends and uh we had a lot of jocks who were total douchebags and bully people and i wasn't a fan of it so i started dressing very flamboyantly so they would start picking on me because i could fight can and, you yeah, like I'm not, I'm not incredible, but like I'll keep going, and I know how to throw a punch. Now, yeah. where did you get this type of? Because uh, I'm the complete opposite. I can't fight. Yeah, where where do you get this type of uh, training? I was locked up for like two years. Oh, in prison. Well, well, juvenile. Oh, okay. But see, yeah. that, I didn't see. I don't know a lot about you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. There's a lot of stuff I don't advertise all the time, but um, yeah, I uh, I committed a bunch of crimes when I was relatively young and ran away a lot. So when I was like 12, my parents gave me back up to be a ward of the state, okay. and um, I was in youth lockup for a while. Then I was in reform schools, mental hospitals, uh, youth lockdown, lockdown at a place called Long Lane in Connecticut. 
which has since I think been closed down because they beat the crap out of the kids all the time. Um, but yeah, my roommates were like murderers, rapists. Like I was roommates with one guy who shot his grandmother in the head 28 times with a revolver. Well, that's a lot of reloading. Did she make it? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that's uh anger issues i would say yeah exactly um so you know i definitely like i took a lot of punches because i had a big mouth and eventually i learned how to give a few back so um, and i'm not like my skill set as a fighter isn't great but the majority of people aren't trained fighters and the majority of people who even start fights are fucking drinking or doing something stupid and since i don't really drink or get high when someone picks a fight with me now especially at a bar they've had a few and like i've got the edge because you work can we say where you were yeah i work up at the den of hollywood at the hottest bar on the sunset strip across from where belushi died yeah yeah no that's uh it's, it's basically uh, what what is that little is sunset corridor i guess you'd call it I it's mean, it's where west hollywood really starts is the beginning of the sunset strip basically uh, a little uh, west of Sunset and Crescent Heights. Yeah, right across from the Chateau Mama. I mean, the den is a happening. Uh, I mean, it's not my kind of place. It's just too fucking loud in there. Yeah, uh, but that's what happens when bars get hip. They get yeah. loud. And if you're going to look for pussy, I would say this is one of the. Would you say it's one of the top uh, bars to hook? I mean, to try and hook up at. Uh oh, for like just for a horny dude. Uh, yeah, well, I think. It depends. Like we've, there's a lot of really pretty girls that go in there. Um, it's uh, we're all kind of feminists, so it's like we don't we don't like like super creepy um, guys. Like, and you know, it's like weird, like fake alpha males who like wait till girls get really drunk and then prey on them. We're not a big fan of that. And I think that's why we have so many women that come in there because me and the other bartenders spend a lot of time pretending where someone's boyfriend to make sure some creeper will get off a girl's back. Um, but yeah, there's girl, like girls go to bars and they want to hook up. Just don't be a fucking creep and girls will probably hook up with you. That's why a lot of them tend to go to bars. Same reason as guys. But see, I find, uh, I, for someone who's never had a drink, I've hung out at a lot of bars. Wait, you've never had a drink, never had a drug or drop. Wow. But I don't hate on people who do. I mean, obviously, we're both in comedy. Yeah. We're around, I mean, I'm around cocaine pretty much every night and weed and booze. I don't, you know, I don't drink either, right? Have you, but you used to. Right. Yeah, I used to, but like I haven't drank or done drugs for like five and a half years. Did you just, uh, what was the tipping point, as they say? Uh, I started waking up covered in my own blood. Uh, there was like this one thing where I was blacked out and I came to in a guy's car and he was like playing with my dick. And I was just like, that's a hell of a tipping point. I know. I think I got a drinking problem and a drugging problem. Now, what was your drug of choice? Alcohol. But. I always wanted it with something else. Like I would have my alcohol and cocaine phase and then my alcohol and pills phase. And then I had a very short lived alcohol and crack phase. Oh really? Yeah. Jack Daniels or crack cocaine. Oh, dude, Jack Daniels and crystal meth actually go really well together. Um, well, your teeth have held up well. Yeah. No, it's, 
It's solid. It's that Irish-Italian DNA, man. It's really taking care of me. But doesn't meth uh, rot the uh, something to do, you know, because I know a few guys I play hockey with do it, and their teeth... Uh, it eats away at the gum. Oh, teeth dude. Go. Yeah, I never, I never did any hard drug for long enough. Like, I'd always switch to something else. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I just never... You know, I'm a an addictive person myself so yeah would you would you classify yourself um i don't feel like i'm adding you because i've listened to some of the other podcasts no, and no. i know classify yourself as a sex addict um i mean uh probably back in the day i, I would love to blow it out yeah uh, but it's because of the the group of people i was hanging with uh all high level i see well uh, i won't mention the agencies but uh you're talking I, about ICs, like I slushies ICs. i love ices blue so, ices blue ices so good all high level uh, agents managers i see uh, dead people yeah i see mm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so i was uh because I didn't do any drugs, they had me around to be the designated driver at the end of the night. And, you know, they couldn't score all the chicks. So, you know, I would get basically their leftovers. But mm. I was fine with that. So, yeah, I mean, if you're using a condom, there's no sloppy seconds. Well, I mean, there was a few times where, you know, maybe uh, I, I didn't. But, uh, you know, I, I've never had a disease. Yeah, I've only had one. I'm really happy. What was it? it? Chlamydia. And do you know who gave it to you? I have a pretty good idea, but that person claims I gave it to them. I was sleeping. I was only sleeping with two girls at the time. I was only having unprotected sex with two girls. And then there was all the other girls that I was like, I don't trust any of them condoms. Um, <clears throat> and then one day my dick started to itch and I was like, oh man, I should have peed after sex. And then, you know, like you squeeze it and a little something comes out and you're like, wait, why is there still sperm in here? And then you Google, like, what does AIDS look like? Because you don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I went to the clinic, and they were like, yeah, it looks like chlamydia. I'm like, but it could be a UTI, right? And he was like, dudes don't get UTIs, stupid. Well, I mean, uh, I, I thought I had AIDS once just because I had a bump on my neck. Yeah. And uh, I Googled bump on my neck. and WebMD said it's AIDS. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's AIDS. So I was like, went and got five AIDS tests in one day. I was so <laughs> fucking nervous. And uh, I went, the last place I went to is right on the corner. It's an AIDS, uh, you know, West Hollywood. I figured. Oh, it, the spot. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I went for my chlamydia. They're going to know what they're doing at this yeah. place. And the guy before me left crying. So I was like, what? Yeah. Yes, we know how that one went. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, when I got... And here's the thing that I love about clinics. They always test you. They give you a rapid HIV test first. And here's why I don't care about the chlamydia. Because... I was like, if I got chlamydia, I could have anything right now. You get your rapid HIV test, it comes back negative. And then it's like, we, I, yeah, I, I'm so happy I don't have AIDS. I'll be okay with herpes right now if that's what's going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. But they gave me a shot, said don't have sex for seven days. That was the worst part. And that that's a lot for you because you're probably a more, uh, at least you used to be more of a sex addict than I was because you got hot chicks. I didn't really. How do you not get hot uh, chicks? You're kind of a ripped dude, Earl. Well, I mean, now I uh, do okay. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, my uh, last few girlfriends have been very attractive. Um, but, you know, back in the day, I, I didn't really care what they look like. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I was with some real gorillas. Yeah. But I'm a boob man, so I would sacrifice looks for big boobs. I don't understand that. 
Like, because I'm, I'm okay. You know what almost kind of turns me on? When a girl's boobs are so small that when you pin her arms back, it looks like a boy's chest. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if I'm with you on that one, but I don't expect you to be because you're a boob guy. Here's my thing, though. How are you going to be sexually attracted to the part or the only part of a girl's body that you're not going to stick your dick in? That's like, yeah, I'm a forearm guy. But I mean, the girl I'm dating now is, uh, you know, I, I think her boobs are great. But, he, you know, she I guess she would say is uh you know, not the, the most bosomy girl in the world, but mm. she's beautiful. So, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I guess your uh, wants change. Yeah. For, for me, it's weird now. Like, because especially L.A., it's like visually you have the pick of the litter. Like any kind of hot girl, I'm putting up air quotes right now, everyone, any kind of hot girl that you could possibly want is here. And, you know, they're available to you if you're confident enough and, you know, you know how to talk. Um, but after like 10 years here, I'm just like, I don't care how hot you are because so many really attractive women in my opinion, in my experience have been so horrible to talk to and so bad in bed that now it's almost like smell. Like it's like a pheromone thing. It's like a chemical thing. Like if I hug you and like your smell, your scent, like makes me want to like bite you really, really hard. Then I'm like, yeah, let's hang out. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'm more into the personality now. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, important too. I mean, there's a lot of twats out here. It's true, man. There's a lot of uh, loose-lipped, hangy roast beefs, kind of extra mayo. Well, I mean, you know, I never really <laughs> thought of it that way, but, you know, but I am, I also don't chase girls, you know, I mean, yeah. like, uh, you know. My ex-girlfriend's a bartender, and I would see these slobs, uh, you know, these cocaine fools yeah. just uh, picking up on her right in front of me. And it's like, ugh, is, is this really who I'm competing yeah. with? The best way you could pick up on a girl is to not pick up on a girl. Yeah, like, I think it's a real mind yeah, fuck for them. Exactly. Find the girl that's getting hit on by five douchebags, sit right next to her, and ignore her for 30 minutes until she gets worried that something's wrong with you with her because you're not paying attention to her. Oh, I agree. I yeah. think it's the, uh, almost like you see certain comics doing like, uh, anti comedy and the crowd loves it. Yeah. You know, it's like anti pickup. Uh, exactly. But I've also seen that style work with dudes in bars where they just beat on a girl for, you know, they just, yeah, and then she's just like, Oh, fine. I'm done. Oh, it's gross. Do it. But then, but okay, let's and say you see this at the bar all the time. I've been bartending since I was 19 years old. I'm a 32 year old man now. So, uh, my experience has been that girl might end up going home with you. Your odds are slim. But if you get that girl home, like, don't you want someone who's enthusiastic to have sex with you? Because it's not that girl. That girl's given up. But I don't think guys like what we're talking about now want that. They just want to get their dick in a hole. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever been like that with women where yeah. I had to like, you know, I throw it out there and if they're not into it, I just yeah. okay. And that's the thing. I have a huge problem with like, because I consider myself an alpha male. And I think like we get a bad name because you have all these 
douchebag, button-down, flannel shirt-wearing, muscly frat boys who call themselves alpha males who are basically borderline date rapists. And it's like when you watch a Pride of Lions and you look at the alpha male, he doesn't chase any of the female lions around all day. Like he hangs out and they're like, yeah, we're going to go to this guy because he's the guy. You know? And like... I don't know. These are fucking betas, dude. I hate them so much. These little betas. And then when, when you put them in their place, when they're out of line, when they're making women feel uncomfortable and, you know, you slap them down a peg or two, then they want to fight you. And it's just like, are, are you serious? How about you ask me how I'm taking home the girl that you wanted? That's the best. When that guy puts in all the legwork and then because you were a nice guy, you, you reap the benefits. So. Exactly. And it's not even like being like a super nice guy like i'm not the nicest guy like yeah, but you got I, I try game. to be fun i try to be fun exciting and interesting a little dangerous you know but yeah but you safe. got the confidence though i've seen you at the comedy store yeah i'm not why, why would you not be confident the only hurdle that men have with women is that that thing that louis ck was talking about where women's we're the number one threat to a woman's health. Statistically, more women get hurt by men than anything else. So you just got to be cool enough to like put a girl at ease that you're not going to do something horrible to her. Like that's the biggest hurdle and it's, it should be the easiest, but guys are such mooks. Oh God, mooks. That is uh, yeah. I, that is a, a term I coined uh, with the, the, your great friend, Carlos Herrera. Yeah. Back in the day who uh, guys are mooks. Yeah. Pigs. They're animals. So, yeah. Uh, they're disgusting, slovenly idiots. And you know, it's, it's like we, we did it to them in a way, man. What was it? Five seasons of entourage will brainwash anyone. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like I was telling you off air, I, I had a little incident with a mook, Mr. Mook, at your bar the other night. It's like, is this guy serious? And, uh, but, you know, it's LA. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, I've always tried to play by the rules uh, with men and women i never go after another guy's lady yeah. ever uh even if i like them i just chalk it up as you know it just wasn't meant to be but i i'm starting to realize that i might be the uh in the minority of that. yeah i'm in i'm in the same boat with you um i if <clears throat> if you if a girl has a boyfriend i don't fuck with it two reasons one it's the respectful thing to do but the more important reason to me is for my own basic health because someone will stab you if you fuck their girlfriend eventually. I mean, I've had that happen and I, uh, uh you've been stabbed. No, no, I haven't done anything, which I think probably was the, 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 the mistake at the end of the day. Cause I think, uh, if you don't, uh, use some form of physical violence against the, uh, Offender, it's like, oh, either you didn't care or uh, I didn't encourage them to uh, their behavior. So, I mean, but I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm not a great fighter, but w when I'm pissed, it's, it's, it ain't pretty. Yeah. Um, and also, like, there's a million ways to destroy a person. You know, you could punch them in the face or you could just, like, destroy the reputation piece by piece over the course of years, which, like, there's, there's, like, one dude who started working on a girl I was dating while I was still dating her and I really loved her. 
and another comedian. They ended up together after we broke up. And uh, I'm very public about it. Like, I know secrets of this dude's and I hand them out. Oh, well, I'd like yeah. to hear them off the air. Oh, off air, you're going to get them. Or on the air, but, you know, I don't want to... This isn't like a gossip show, but yeah, no. I mean, I... Well, what I'm doing right now in my particular situation is... Uh, you know, and it's it might not be the best because it goes, uh, you know, it's basically I'm not doing anything and letting things play out as they are. And it's starting to look better for me every day. So, yeah, uh, you know, but, you know, but the, the 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 guy in the situation involved, was it like someone in your locale? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, he, he was uh, always trying to. Uh, um, he was pretty open about it. So, uh, mm. you know, but I just, you know, my attitude at the time was, hey, man, you you could look all you want. She's going home with me at the end of the night. And then the, and then one day. And then one day, it just there's a whole situation. I don't want to say too much on air because it gives away uh, yeah. certain identities. But, uh, and then, uh, you know, you know, this goes back to... Uh, this particular person just beating down for three years yeah. uh, the situation. So uh, it's a know. lot of legwork, but I've ne I don't think I've ever been, I I've never, it's like kind of pathetic that a guy and not even just in this case, but would have to resort to that to get his weenie wet. Yeah. Yeah. And it is what it is. Like guys like that, they're fucking betas, man. And they're going to stay betas. And you know, like ideally we should take the high road, not hold resentments and not waste our time on it. Focus on our careers. Sure. But, uh, I have too much anger inside me, man. I got too much rage. And now that I'm 32 and I can't really punch you in the face, I'm going to find other things to do. I'm going to make sure something in your life doesn't happen when you want it to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, well, that's, it, well, it's, that could, uh, be more effective if you guys are in the same field. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and I've seen, uh, that happen where, you know, someone sent their tape to Comedy Central and, and a guy who, uh, they'd fucked over, uh, you know, with a female friend, it was a big deal at Comedy Central. Uh, yeah. Threw his tape in the trash. Yeah, so it's it could you have, have been to this difference. And I, I honestly, even if, because I have a few friends who are comics who like they're not incredible with women, and. So like I'll be talking to a girl and I'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna sleep with this girl, and then like they'll show interest, and I just back off at this point because I don't need it you know like like I want I want my friends to be able to I, I'm trying to say this without an eagle but basically I'm hard to compete with well no but you you're yeah. a good-looking guy you're funny you're talented I mean that's you know and you have a uh, almost uh, and I mean this in a complimentary way <laughs> it might come off uh, not as an insult, but like, you know, you have like this pro wrestling confidence Yeah, and chicks, at least in LA dig that, you, you know, the, you know, the 
this probably the, this is an insult, but it's not at you. But yeah. that Rico Suave kind of, hey baby, I'm yeah. the man. They like it in this town. Yeah, no, it's 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 a when in Rome thing, man. I've been here for ten years. When I got here, I was a scared, chubby dude, and it's like, what does a smart person do when they're in an unfamiliar situation? They pay attention to what works, and then they try to fix it to work with whatever their <clears throat> whatever their book of rules and whatever their moral standing is. So, you know, like I saw a lot of guys being super confident douchebags and getting checks and I was like, I'll take the super confident and I'll imply the douchiness, but I won't follow through with it. So a lot of people meet me and they think I'm a huge douchebag and it's like I'm not. I have a strong moral code. I do my best not to be a douchebag, but um, women are attracted to douchebags. Oh. So if the packaging looks like a douchebag and then I bring you home and I go down on you for 45 minutes, you've won twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but you, you are ladies, man. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah. but you know, I imagine being at working at the bar uh, and comedy every night. I mean, you're either doing one of those two at least five to maybe every night of the week. They're the they're the only two things I really do. It's great training. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's great. My my life in L.A. If you like, sometimes we get down about my career. We all get down about oh, our sure. career. But Earl Skakel, if you told five year old Earl Skakel that this is where you'd be right now and this is the cool shit you'd be doing, five year old Earl would be like, "That's awesome." Oh yeah, I love yeah. doing this podcast. Yeah. It's, podcasts like you know you you do your shows you do your sets yeah. you know you have you you are ingrained as part of the community at the world famous comedy store like you are part of the legend of this era right now well i mean you know i, I have to figure out a way to try and uh, you know i was telling some of this the other day i mean i think i might be and this isn't cocky at all uh I might be the most well-liked guy in L.A. comedy. Not my comedy, but just, like, uh, from day one, I've tried to pattern myself after, like, Brody Stevens from yeah. the standpoint of Brody can walk into any room, whether it's an alt room, uh, the improv, the comedy store, or anything in between, and people are like, Brody's here. Yeah. And that's what I've tried to... Uh, you know, I don't think I have one enemy in this business. No, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about you. And in fact, if you guys notice the way I'm speaking right now, Earl's tone is very infectious. And it's, I almost, you almost end up doing like a uh, impression of Earl Skakel all the time. And my group of friends, when we all started comedy, would just sit around talking like this all day. It's, fuck, you know, just palming each other all night. Palm, you know, palming, you know, and a lot of people, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people see my Facebook posts. Or when I say I'm palming at Equinox, yeah. <laughs> you know, Palm City 18. Yeah. A lot of glad handing. Yeah, <laughs> they don't. Palming, I got that from one of my favorite uh, cult movies of all time is a movie. I think it might have been Dice Clay's very first movie mm -hmm. where he played a, uh, a doorman at a nightclub. Uh, and it's kind of neat to see him 
like not Dice, he was just Andrew Clay. Yeah, uh, it was called Making the Grade with Judd Nelson. Oh shit! And, uh, and bas- after Breakfast Club, um, it was sort of like around eighty three, eighty four. So it okay. might have been he either did it right before or right after. Right. Um, and it's a story about uh, he's a hot fuck up, and uh, this rich kid named Palmer Woodrow yeah. uh, paid him to graduate college for him and. Uh, Palmer Woodrow had like this Fraser Smith, like nice to everyone, shake everyone's hand type of vibe. The real Palmer. Yeah, he was a, the, the the original Palmer. So yeah. whenever I see someone in the comedy world who's just a real ass kisser, uh, you know, or uh, you know, I, I, you know, there was a few comics once who who never really said anything to me at the comedy store but one night they saw me talking to Rob Schneider oh uh, yeah and they all came up to me and palmed you know pr- pressing palms yeah exactly man so you know uh, that's what palming means and uh, yeah but uh, you know. that's a great thing to pay attention to it's like cause there there's some guys I know who like are not great comics you know they're still figuring it out they're basically they're, they're, they're nobodies you know I mean we're all nobodies on some level but uh, they're people, they're human beings, and they're great guys, and we're supposed to be part of a community. And I can tell who I like in the community based on the way they treat those guys. Oh, yeah, for you sure. Know? So, and uh, people are watching you, fucking Palmers. Like, oh, yeah, man. We're, we're, watch- we're watching you. Sometimes I, I get afraid I'm being mistaken for a Palmer because I daydream a lot, and I have ADD, and I can literally walk into a room, see four people I know, and not realize they're there. But overall, I feel like I, I, I lead a palmless existence. Well, I mean, you have to do a certain amount of palming. Uh, yeah. Everyone does. I mean, you know, even, uh, you know, someone who's on a, you know, sitcom, you know, they got a palm, uh, you know, for their next project when yeah, the yeah. show gets canceled. Yeah, uh, but, you know, there's a difference between, like, pursuing people who you want to work with in a professional manner and then eating pop tarts out of someone's ass so you can get spots in the OR. Well, I haven't figured out how to do that. I tried to palm up there and, you know, even though I'm, you know, probably one of the most well-liked guys up there, it hasn't translated into spots, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's just the weird state of that club and what it is. But I will say this, and I think we can mention the guy's name, uh, Tommy Morris, the talent coordinator. I mean, that is a tough job. I mean, yeah, uh, he's filling big shoes, man. Well, I just uh, I, I was there one night, uh, and three I won't mention their names, but A list comics all walked in at the same time. Now uh, they all wanted to go on next, mm. and they were giving Tommy unbelievable shit. Well, I got I got a show I got to get ready for, and then well, I was next, man, and I you know blah blah, and it was like wow, this is a tough job. Yeah, you know when you, you know it's one thing to get shit from guys like you and me, you know trying to get in. Yeah, but when three guys who you give the best spots to on earth are like busting your balls, it's like all right, I, you know I, I kind of understand now how hard your job is. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I still think it could be done in a slightly better way, but yeah, I think the majority of people do. Just more honesty. Like Jamie from the Improv, he's awesome, man. Wait, Jamie from the Laugh Factory? No, well, there's Jamie Masada, you know, obviously who owns the Laugh Factory. I guess he's the talent coordinator there, but there's Jamie Flam, 
mm. from who's the talent coordinator at the improv. Is that now? Is that new? Is that since the renovation? Um, he's been there uh, maybe a year or so. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's really cool how he goes about it. He he came up to me and said, "Hey, man, I love you. Everyone loves you." I get eight spots a week to give out. Yeah. So basically in, until you're, you know, either on T he didn't say it in this way, but he was basically said until you get on TV or you got something, you know, some heat, I, I can't really, you know, hook yeah. you up. And I'm like, but at least I now know where I stand there. Yeah. You know, whereas at the comedy store, I've been up there, you know, same deal as you, you know, but whatever it's been five, six years. And I still don't know how Tommy thinks of me. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if he knows that I exist. And so literally when I get spots on other shows there, I go and do those spots. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I've gotten a couple of TV credits and I'm just going to try to get more and then just walk in and be like, you ready to develop me so you can tell people you discovered me after I did all this work to get on TV myself. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I literally am, am I'm fumbling for words and I'm not trying to, you know, be funny. I, I just, uh, you know, like I did the development spots for like six months and, uh, you know, I, I would say more often than not, I was probably the funnier one, at least of the people who were getting development spots and almost every one of them got passed but me. Oh, man. So I was like, and I know every comic thinks they're great and, and should should get this and that, but I'm pretty honest. Like when I bomb, you know, I'll, I'll admit it. But so I was just like, what's the point? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but you know, you just keep, you know, that's really why I started this podcast just so I could uh, just only deal with people I want to deal with. Hey, if it could resurrect Mark Maron's career. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, as you see, I have his book on there. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget Marin was kind of, uh, he was almost like an 80s metal band in the mid 90s. Yeah. They were, he was not done, but like. Yeah, he was done. I think he even says, like, I was done. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And then, uh, you know, bam, here comes this podcast and, and it's, it's huge. And, uh, yeah, you know, he's back on top. It's pretty, him and Louis CK are probably the, the, and Bill Burr yeah. uh, are probably the top three guys right now going. So, and the thing I love about Mark Marin's podcast is there's been a lot of comedians, people who are super famous who are running shit now and like they're on TV, they have TV shows who will be on his podcast and be like, dude, you and your friends were fucking dicks to us back in the day. Like, uh, what was it Amy Poehler? I think specifically. Oh, I, I've yeah. never in, in full disclosure. I've never listened to one podcast. I, Carlos Herrera used to play them all the time when we lived together. So like, I've heard a good handful. So like, like, you know, d dude, don't be dicks to people in fucking comedy, man, because like his career almost ended. He had to resurrect it with the Internet, the most powerful robot on the face of the earth. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, uh, my first uh, time ever meeting him uh, was at the comedy store, of course, and where he used to be a doorman. So you can't get any lower in life than being a doorman at the comedy yeah. store. So, you know, but there's a lot of great comics who started at that job uh, yeah but he he pulled up in the garage or not the garage but the uh the parking lot the parking lot louis anderson got out of his car at the same time and in kind of a dicky way mark kind of announced in the uh, parking lot oh great the the ghost of comedy passed which i took as kind of an insult yeah like 
you know, and I don't think Louie heard him. And uh, but then uh, you know, the second time I met him, he, I said, "Hey, man, I really enjoyed your book. He couldn't have been any nicer." Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think he's figured it out. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, I don't know how anyone who's this successful now could be a dick, but at this point, but yeah, you know, like I like how he has like he had Dean Del Rey on his podcast. Yeah, which I thought was really cool to give someone at the time who was you know not uh, completely unknown, but like. Uh, you know a, a newer comic like get him on the biggest podcast going yeah and, you know so he does stuff like i think that there was now. some palming involved there but i mean yeah. that's the great thing about dean is like i think he originally asked and mark basically said in his own uh, inimitable way uh who are you uh, yeah no it said no several times and dean didn't and this is where i have to, i don't know about you but i have to learn to uh have a little more bit of Dean in me and, and he no. just kept after him. Kept doing and it. And got on it. Yeah. No, it's uh yeah, that's what is it, the guy who took um huge Hollywood producer used to used to Ryan stuff. Singer, a Twink Party. No. No, the guy who did the Ocean's Eleven's movies, that guy. Right. There's a documentary about him called My Way. He wanted to um book a tour for Elvis. So he called Elvis's manager one day and said, Hey, I want to book a tour for Elvis. And the guy was like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> no. So he's like, okay, I'll call you tomorrow. Called him every morning. And on the one year anniversary of the first call, he's, the guy was like, fine. We've been talking every morning for a year now. I know who you are. <laughs> I mean, but that's, I mean, it, well, I mean, you just have to be persistent. It's like Stallone and Rocky. I mean, yeah. you know, every studio passed on it. I think yeah. he finally found one really teeny independent studio. Said, "All right, we'll do it." Because he wanted to star in it, but you can't be in it. Yeah, I had. I was talking to a guy who's an assistant manager. I think at Gersh. And because I have a lot of projects going on, I have a one hour that I'm turning into a comic book. That's like my that's my Rocky. I want to star in it. It's about demon hunters. It's awesome. It's like. Uh, Army of Darkness meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's my dream job. Oh, cool. And and I was just like, that's what I got. He's like, yeah, I could probably get you in at some point. What do you want to do with it? I was like, I want to star in it and I want to write it. And he's like, who are you? You can't do that. And I was like, all right, the reason I won't come in for a meeting with you is because you're good at telling people why they can't do things. Get good at telling people how you're going to figure out how they can do things and you'll have a career. Like... That's what managers and agents are supposed to do. They're supposed to figure out how something will work, not just tell people it can't work. Because anything can work. Hollywood's the dumbest oh, place yeah. on the face of the earth where anything can work. Well, I think uh, most agents and managers, uh, this is kind of a, a two-faced statement, but I think they're lazy and they don't want to develop anything. They want you to come in. Here's a show. It's fully shot. Uh, you know, okay. Yeah. They don't want to... I have an idea for a show. I don't want to put in the work to do all that. Yeah, exactly. They want they they want you to just come and give them ten percent of something that you already made money off of, so they can go get their happy endings. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that's well. That's why all my agency friends uh, that they loved massage parlors and hookers, escorts. Yeah, because all those things are great. Oh yeah, if you got expendable money and uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure. Speaking of expendables. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure Stallone was rejected for that idea. Uh, you know, hey, I want to get all my 
80s action movie guys in this movie and be like, yeah. you guys haven't been in a movie in 10 years. Who, yeah. who the fuck would see this? And they're on their yeah. third one. Everyone. They're like, the script is horrible. They're like, yeah, people still watch it. I mean, but it, it, I mean, I didn't see the second one, but I got to say, it was quite a thrill to walk into a movie theater and whenever the first one came out, 2009, and see like Dolph Lundgren back on the base. Yeah, screen. the original Punisher. Yeah, right. which I loved. I loved uh, that. Yeah. The Travolta one uh, left me flat. but Yeah. No, I was a little soft. But did you see Punisher War Journal? Who was the Punisher? In I don't even know the guy's name, man. Well, that's kind of like which, I did not. Which is what they should do with the Punisher movie. You shouldn't know the guy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's exactly what it should be. It's gritty. The story's not incredible. It's just a lot of violence and punishing. Well, that's kind of like the third RoboCop was. Yeah, with the fucking ninjas. He was, uh, it, it, the actor's name, I think, was uh, Robert John Burke, mm. who, uh, you know, if you watch NYPD Blue. Uh, no, no, he's uh, the internal affairs guy in Law and Order uh, Sex Crimes, I think. SVU. Great face. I mean, yeah. uh, very chiseled face. And the, I guess he, but uh, a lot of people say he played the, the uh, best RoboCop. But, uh, you know, Peter Weller's, the first RoboCop is just... Yeah, the first RoboCop is incredible. And that new thing they, me they made... Like, oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah. Keaton's awesome. Yeah, it was good to see Keaton back. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, uh, and Jackie Earl Haley, I love, because he was uh, Kelly Leak in the Bad News Bears. Yeah. He was the bald guy. Oh, okay. Uh, like, the tech guy. Uh, and uh, I think he uh, was nominated for an Oscar for playing a child molester or something. Uh, and some, uh, and he was in the Freddy Krueger reboot. You're thinking of he had to register for Megan's Law for molesting a child. Well, I mean, listen, uh, whatever gets you. Is that an IMDb credit? Uh, for Woody Allen, it is. Yeah, well, yeah. that's crazy. I mean, yeah, that's he's fucking his own daughter or something. Yeah. That's not a thing. It's just like, because he had the one daughter he was fucking that he married and that's one thing, but then like, so we're all just kind of like, all right, it's unorthodox, but all right. And then the other girl comes out and he's like, yeah, he was raping me in the attic when I was seven and it hurt. Well, welcome to Hollywood. Yeah, I don't like it. Now, what other projects do you have? Because you got a lot of things in the, oh, in the cooker. I, well, I got one thing that I'm actually uh, here to promote. I'm doing a little bit of glad handing on it. Palm I'm going to palm you real hard right now. But that's why you're on the show. Yeah, exactly. This this is this is why this is like our version of like doing the talk show circuit to promote your film. But I am. But you know, here we are, 40 minutes in. I mean, I, you know, because you and I are, are good friends. Yeah. But we really don't know each other. Yeah. So I was like, Jesus Christ, what do I talk about with him after he does the, the spiel on this project? But, yeah. it, you know, there you go. We got it. So um, it's called Recovery, and it's about a gay male with a fighting addiction who has to find God to relieve him of his impulse to punch faces. It's a short film, and it has a lot of great talent. Some people that have just been in my life and I think are very talented. I've got Brendan Sexton III from Empire Records. I've got Sandy Danto in it. I got Justin Martindale in it, and I got J. Chris Newberg in it. Well, there you go. I mean, I'll, I'll see him on the uh, Guitar Center Wall of Fame one day. <laughs> um, and uh, right now we're doing an Indiegogo campaign for it. So if you want to check it out, go to Indiegogo.com. And then in the little search box, just type in the word recovery. We have a great trailer with all those folks and myself in it. It's funny. It's informative. And it'll make you be like, 
Let's give this motherfucker some money. Some of the perks include beer koozies, t-shirts, keychains with a picture of me getting punched in the face. And if you donate all $12,000, I'll tattoo your name on my leg. See, I did something very... Now, what, what is the difference between Indiegogo and Kickstarter? If I don't get all the money with Indiegogo, I still get to keep the money. <laughs> oh, Kickstarter, if you don't get all the money... You, you, yeah. Okay. Are those the, the primary two... Uh, I guess um, there's a GoFundMe out there. Right. I think uh, I saw a third one. uh, Well, my favorite Kickstarter uh, story is uh, Quiet Riot. Okay. Legendary LA uh, metal band. Uh, They put out a Kickstarter to fund a documentary about their career. And their career is fascinating. I mean, Mm. from the mid 70s on. you know, and you had the different levels. You know, for ten dollars, you got a CD. For a uh, hundred, you got an autograph CD. For uh, two fifty, it was like you get uh, uh, a poster and, and and so on and so forth. And then, but for ten thousand dollars, and I, I this is relating to you. Yeah. For ten grand, you got to actually be in the documentary. Yeah. But it's like. So I immediately, uh, and one guy did it. So I started a Kickstarter the next day to do a documentary about the guy who donated ten thousand dollars <laughs> to do, you know. But I mean, shouldn't you, like, like what you're doing is like, okay, that's pretty cool yeah. to get your their name tattooed on your body forever. I mean, that's a serious commitment. But I just, you know, in Quiet Riot's case, I was like, well, shouldn't someone have something to do with the band? Yeah, if they're gonna be. In the in the documentary, and like one of one of my perks is that like because we have two scenes that are like um, fightaholics and drugaholics anonymous meetings, so we're like we need people to we need ex, we need extras. So one right. of the perks is you know like be an extra. Welcome to Hollywood. You're famous now. Um, but yeah, but like when I see films do Kickstarters where they're like, yeah, you get a speaking role in the film. I'm like, you just destroyed the integrity of your artistic project by saying that anyone can come on and do something. Acting's not easy. It takes a lot of hard work to figure out how to do that. Oh, no. I mean, yeah. I, uh, it, it's not easy. I mean, even like you see commercials with just one or two lines, it, it's like there's still some skill in, involved. Yeah. So. It, I think that's even harder. Like if you give me 10 pages of dialogue, I'll go into an audition and because you have a lot of room to hide your mistakes. Right. You have two lines like you have to you have to be 10 lines before that you know, oh yeah like before you walk in the door like you have to do a whole thing you have no warm-up it's like hitting the ramp without gaining speed yeah i mean i just did a episode of rob schneider's show uh and i had like three lines and it was tough because one one scene they popped on me right before the cameras rolled they're like hey we just added this you gotta you know say these eight things in that order and it was like jesus christ i mean so it took me a few takes because i kept fucking up the order but uh, yeah you know it all worked out i guess and uh you know that's another hard thing about the business it's like you see someone like rob's tv show get canceled and it had good ratings yeah and he just said fuck it i'm gonna do it my own way 
He's paying for everything. Really? Now I know guys like you and I probably aren't in the position to say, fuck it, I'm just going to pay for everything. But, you know, I kind of respect him mm-hmm. for that. Uh, exactly. Well, yeah, I don't have the money to pay for everything. I have, I have some money, but, you know, I'm trying to get the rest through Indiegogo.com when people type recovery into the search box See, and watch a, the pitch video. Just do it. Donate what you can. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's a good... Jared, the Craven's a good man. Yeah, and uh, if you don't like to type things after hearing them, hopefully Earl will, when he reposts his podcast, will post a link to the Indiegogo as well. This will be... I will, actually. This will be out today. I don't, oh, cool. I don't fuck around. Jeez, it's a machine I, in here. Well, you know, it takes me uh, probably about 25 minutes or so to, you know, get the music to, provided by Steve. Stevie Rochelle, thank yeah. you, Stevie. Uh, and then you know, edit it. You know, I don't take out anything. Like yeah. uh, Carlos said, the N word on this podcast. I didn't take He'll it out. That. Yeah. Oh, he's trying to be funny. It's like you're going to edit that out, right? I'm like, no, no, dude. So, uh, yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I try and get him out. You know, I'm still learning. You know, like the first month I started, I, I taped like uh, I think 15. Yeah. And. I sat on them, so I would just release one every Monday. Yeah. But then, uh, actually, one Carlos and Sandy did, uh, they were plugging some show that happened like four months ago. Oh. So, I, you know, now I just release them the day of, and um, it's kind of a sporadic order. Yeah. You know, when me and, you know Julia, right? Julia Reese? Julia D.D. Reese. Yeah. Uh, we dated, and then what? when we broke up, we started a podcast called Fremen- Frenemies, because people thought it was funny the way we would berate each other for being such, because like we were both huge whores, you know, um, and it's not in a negative context. We both enjoy sex, but right. then we broke up. We didn't enjoy sex with each other anymore. So then we started like getting evil with each other and, and it was great. But literally, yeah, you got to do it that day. Well, yeah. yeah, just and I didn't really realize that it is hard to get people to come to your house. uh Although I'm fairly uh, central to to most people, it's like just getting the singer from Rad has been uh, I, I, problems. The wrong word, but uh, has been somewhat difficult because he lives in the valley, and you know, you know, he's doing me the favor, so yeah. I understand. Uh, you know, it's thirty forty minute drive for him. So I recently bought a uh, a mobile setup that will be here tomorrow oh nice because i'm just missing out on too many people who uh not i don't want to say you're too lazy to drive here but just you know i'm sure they're like who the fuck are you why why should i come to you going from hollywood to the valley or vice versa that's armageddon to me oh it's horrible but i just you know i i will always try and get people to do the home setup because i just think this is more comfortable yeah this is very chill man i got you we're here i got your rat rat shrine going on your huge flat screen TV. I do need a new TV. As Don Barris pointed out, there is a green hue. Uh, uh, the bulb's about to burn out. Oh, there's uh, a bulb in it. This isn't a flat screen. No, I wish. It's a, uh, I guess you'd say a, a projection TV with a uh, bulb in it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, the bulb, uh, I think you have like a couple thousand hours. Mm. But, but this TV is so antiquated now. I mean, I went... Uh, looking for TVs the other day and it's like it's insane yeah like I have a 50 inch 52 inch plasma TV that I bought for 700 bucks like just hanging on my wall being huge where uh, it's uh, it was a Panasonic plasma it's like one of the lower grade ones but it looks great to me um, and I got it I think I got it at the Best Buy 
Okay. I mean, yeah. I know, uh, you know there's this place called, uh, and the, these guys are not sponsors, but, you know, uh, Paul's uh, Big Screen TV. Crazy Paul, brought to you by Crazy Paul's Big Screens TV. I, w- I should it fell get- off the back of a truck and into your living room. I should get, uh, that's Crazy Gideon, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah Crazy Gideon. <laughs> the crazy Arab dude who had like a shop down downtown. and But he was ripping off the original uh, guy, Crazy Eddie. Based oh. out of New York, and he was great because he would. Uh, oh, the, and then the original—that was the original East Coast West Coast beef. But yeah, that's crazy what Gideon got killed. Crazy Eddie, and then those two rappers got caught in the crossfire. Crazy Gideon, yeah. and then uh, Biggie and Tupac, and uh, you know it's crazy they still haven't found uh, either killer. But well, yeah, because that's because it was the police. Yeah. It well, was- <laughs> who knows? I mean. Mm. Uh, that's the, yeah, I mean, uh, what uh, the Craven is referencing There's a lot of off duty cops, Moonlight, yeah. bodyguards, and, uh, you know, and our former Crips and Bloods themselves. In LA, that was a huge problem for a while. And, and you know, we got a little piece of that the other night at the comedy store. Dude, Cat Williams pulls out a gun. And then uh, allegedly he said, uh, I think four Crips were bothering him. And uh, so is he a Blood? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really, uh, although I'm fascinated by gangs and, uh, you know, I'm more into the, like the sons of anarchy motorcycle gang, uh, uh, yeah. uh cause it's a world I'll never be in. Uh, but, uh, the gu- guns were drawn, uh, sunset was shut down. Uh, I think they, uh, the audience uh, members, we're running all over the place. You know, that we were doing the roast battle upstairs in the belly oh, room, man. which is packed. Yeah. Um, put one bullet through there. You'll kill 20 people. Well, I was, uh, at, a, I was almost a victim of a drive by shooting. This is a crazy story. Yeah. Let's hear it real fast. So, cause this is about you. It's, you know, I don't like telling stories on, you know, right, people want to know stories about Earl Skakel. Well, one night, my buddy drums for Slash now. He, he uh, was drumming for Vince Neil, and uh, they're playing at the Key Club. Well, it's, I don't know what it is now. One Oak, isn't it? Uh, I've, I don't even go down there anymore. I think Jay Z brought it out, and it, it, it's called One Oak now. And uh, great, but, but you know, back to, back in the day, it was called Gazaris, which was oh, wow. like where Rat got discovered, Van Halen. I mean, Motley Crue, every big band played Gazaris. So uh, Vince Neil's playing the Key Club. We get to go backstage because I knew the drummer, and uh, you know, Bruce Kulick from Kiss. Mm. He was uh, the guitar player in Kiss when nobody, you know. In the mid '80s, like Kiss was like uh, suffering, yeah. And Bruce would even tell you that. And uh, but you know, Kiss had gone through a few guitar players that were causing problems. Bruce is a great guitar player, but he's kind of a get along to go along type, which is what Gene and Paul were looking for. Mm. So uh, me and Bruce were started to walk out. I see the guitar player from Stephen Piercy's solo band, Arcade. Okay. The great Frankie Wilsex, ex of the Sea Hags. Ex of the Sea Hags. I stopped and I said, hey, man, I really liked uh, the Arcade albums. Bruce kept walking. Two minutes later, Bruce gets shot. What? Because there was a fight at the Rainbow. (laughs) Spilled out to the middle of the street. The Cypress Hill boys were involved. Uh, not in the shoot. They did not do the shooting. I think someone shot at them, and the bullet ricocheted and hit Bruce 
right uh, in the thigh. Wow. Literally an inch or two away from dying because, you know, that femoral yeah, artery. artery, man. It, but point being, if I didn't see the guitar player from Arcade, I would have been right walking next to right him. where Bruce got shot. So we all rush out there. I mean, Bruce is like, you know, he's not dying, but, you know, he, he was definitely in shock. Yeah. And they needed something to stop the bleeding. And I had on this really nice T-shirt, and everyone looked at me. It was like, Earl, take off your shirt. And I just looked down at Bruce and go, hey, man, how bad is it? <laughs> and I was such a Jew. The next day, I went to the hospital under the guise of seeing how Bruce was. But I said to the nurse, hey, where do they throw out the bloody clothes? And she took me to this bin that had to have been so riddled with disease. And, and I found my shirt and I took it out of the bin. Yeah, Look at that, man. Crazy, man. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So, it's the comedy store was wild the other night. TMZ covered it. Uh, but this isn't like a new thing. Oh, did Andrew Dice Clay walked in and shot a gun in there back in what? No, I think that was Kennison. It was Kennison at Andrew Dice Clay. Because they had a beef. They uh, basically, um, you know, they were the two big dogs. It was kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, to, to the younger listeners who might not be fans of Dice or, or Kennison, and, and you should if you aren't, uh, the equivalent today would be like, say, uh, Dane Cook and Chris D'Elia. Yeah. You know, the two. And those know. guys are beefing now, too. It's so <laughs> It's hilarious. Well, I remember uh, a couple weeks ago at the Improv, I, uh, you know, I pulled up late night just to sh just to press palms because mm. I knew I wasn't getting up. And like, two managers come running at me, go, Earl, Earl, you got to break up this fight between Dane and Chris. You know, probably because I'm probably the only physically active comic uh, up there. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, w what are you talking about? I just they're talking right around the corner. I guess there was some situation where maybe Dane was uh, possibly upset about Chris going on ahead of him or something and uh, oh, Chris is more famous well I mean you know yeah. listen that, that we talked about Hollywood with guys like you and me yeah. uh, you know and how we could get fucked over it's, it's no different for guys of that stature of hey Chris is on a you know he's got shows on the air he's like yeah. the, the guy right now not that Dane isn't but uh, you know since some of his movies maybe didn't do as well as he would have liked yeah, you know, exactly. He's number two. Let's just say Dane is pre comeback right now. Yeah, I mean, but you know, that's the great. Also, the great thing about and and I think Schneider's in the same boat where uh, you know he's had maybe a few misfires or whatever, and uh, yeah. you're you're one project away from being the the, the guy again. Exactly. So yeah, it, it, people want you to come back strong. This town loves a comeback. They love a recovery. They love a comeback. They'll shit on you when you're down, but they'll cheer you when you get back up. Well, I think in Dane's case, my buddy was a, I don't want to say his name, and I don't want to say the movie, but he was a casting director on one of his movies that might not have done as well. And uh, he said, I'll never work with him again. So, uh, yeah. Well, I don't you know you hear he had, that a lot about him. He well, I don't. Yeah. Him. I mean, I, I, I've never, I, I was somewhat friends with his sister, acquaintances, I guess, and she was cool. Uh, I've never really had much interaction with him. I mean, I know Chris a lot better than Dane, and Chris is always nice, but, uh, you know, it's just no matter what uh, level you're at in Hollywood, there seems to be uh, a beef. Yeah. Open yeah. micers from... Yeah. Well, uh, Bobby Oliver, uh, a comedian that I that I do the Twitter thing with, um, 
posted something today, which I clearly stated how I feel about comedy. Um, some comedians are wordsmiths and others are just fucking bullies. And, you know, like I, I feel that in the whole, there's like guys who are just fucking bullies. Like there's a couple guys at the comedy store. Oh yeah. You know, that are just like, they're up there. They're like higher up in the ranks. They've done some things, but you watch them get on stage and just be so mean to people that a lot of the time people are just laughing because they're uncomfortable. But that's, uh, you know, style is more, uh, uh, in vain at the comedy store. Like I think the comedy stores, uh, I often try and relate the clubs in LA to bands. And I would say the comedy store is Slayer. Yeah. You know, the laugh factory is Bon Jovi. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the improv is more like, uh, you know, Soundgarden, you know. Yeah. I could even call the improv Kesha at this point because they're so corporate. Yeah. And the uh, haha is. Uh, <laughs> the haha is. It's like, uh, you know. A smash mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Lit. Yeah. Uh, I like playing the haha. You know, I was. That, that's what America looks like is the haha. Well, I mean, I. I don't know. I mean, uh, they've had so many bad shows there and, and just the way that place is run, you, you, you know, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It, it's, yeah, I'm friends, I'm friends with Jack and Jack Jr. Um, oh, no, I, yeah, it's but, not even personal. It just, I think there's a reason love it's opened up right down the street from them. They didn't really see the ha ha as being, uh, I mean, usually if you have a business, you're not going to open up right down the street from, an established, uh, yeah, you know, so, uh, and I think they've had a lot of good shows there, but if you notice that the haha, a lot of good shows leave because they're like, you know, they don't like the, uh, the system in place there. Mm. So, uh, but I, you know. I haven't experienced that aspect of it. They're just like, Hey, come do this show. And I'm like, thank you. Oh, stage yeah. time is stage time. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, like you mentioned Bobby Oliver. I mean, you know, is she still teaching comedy? Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Right. And that, that's one of those situations where like, I think we probably share the same views on teaching comedy. Um, but you know, it's like, there's people like Bobby, there's people like Jody who like teach comedy, but you know what? I like them. And I tell younger comics not to take comedy classes all day long. Don't do bringer shows. Don't take comedy classes. Well, I just my problem with comedy uh, schools, you know, Greg Dean, Bobby's, uh, who, who else? Uh, I think Sandy Shore. Uh, Sandy Shore has one. He just won. It's like, I think you should, uh, you know, have some level of accomplishment in the business before you take other people's money. Yeah. Um, you know, but if, if I, you have some accomplishment in the business, you usually don't need to take other people's well, money. Yeah. But that's, that's, I couldn't have said yeah. it better. I mean, it's, but it's like, if I want to learn how to hit a baseball, I'll, I'll ask Tony Gwynn. Well, I yeah. guess I can't ask him anymore, but yeah. uh, I'll ask Rod Carew. Yeah. I'm not going to ask some guy who never made it out a single A ball. Yeah. But, you know, and then people will like, you'll only take advice from someone who's a multimillionaire and, and like, I don't know. I just, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing with comedy. Like, you know, you need, you, you need some, you, you need some jerk off to teach you how to hit a baseball because you can't go hang out with professional athletes. Right. We are surrounded by joke writing and performing wizards. Like if you don't suck as a person, hang around comedy clubs long enough and you will be shown how to do it. You know, like, I mean, I just have to respect the person, uh, 
you know, like if Brian Redband, who's, you know, Death Squad yeah. blowing up, Rogan's podcast man, uh, if he says to me, hey, Earl, I've listened to your podcast. This is how it could be better. I'm going to listen to him. Do everything he says. Because he's like the number one guy in the in the podcasting land. I yeah, mean, he's uh, the king of podcasts for sure. Yeah. I he's mean, also a great guy. Yeah, well, he su- always yeah. has me on the shows uh, and, and he doesn't have to. He knows hundreds of people. Uh, but, you know, if someone who has a podcast that's shittier than mine uh, is, hey, the you know, I listen to your, I'm like, dude, you got to be better than me to tell me how to do it. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just, I hate comedy teachers cause they, uh, you know, you can't teach comedy, man. Yeah. It's like, you just can't, yeah. you know, what is great though. And here, here's an example. Have you ever re- read comic insights? I don't think I have. It's a great book. Uh, a great friend of mine bought it for me for my birthday. And uh, it's written by uh, Franklin AJ. Oh, my God. He's one of my favorite comics. Yeah. And he used to have a comedy class at a college. A college asked him to do one. So he had all the greats come in. He had Seinfeld come in. He had Carlin come in. He had Chris Rock came in. Come in. So there's a part at the beginning where he talks about... Um, how he does comedy and it, it blew my mind like how he writes what's important in performance stuff stuff like that to him and like it was like all the little pieces i was kind of putting together but didn't and then he then he has interviews with like standard sets of questions some of them vary for the greatest comics that have ever lived and well, george carlin man like and it's it's just i'm halfway through it right now and literally it's changed the whole game for me I would like to uh, yeah. read that book. Yeah, for sure. When I'm done with it, I'll totally let you use it. Yeah, if you're out there, uh, please, Franklin Ajay, I, th- I, I want to say his last name is A-J-A-Y-E. I think that's right. Um, he, you know, his only problem was when, when he was blowing up, it was the same era as Richard Pryor, uh, Paul Mooney. Um, so it was like... It's like being that third band behind Slayer and Metallica. It's like oh. it's like being Anvil. Yeah, ba- well, yeah. I mean, uh, and if you've ever seen the the movie Convoy with uh, Chris Christopherson and uh, the, the still incredibly beautiful Ali McGraw, Franklin Ajay, it might have been his only film. Or, well, no, he was in Car Wash. He was the black trucker, uh, Spider Mike. Mm. So uh, you know, he he's truly a, a comedy legend. It, it, but it goes to your point. If Franklin Ajay was teaching a class, I would take it. Yeah. And it's not just because he's made money in the business, but he's fucking great. And, uh, you know, I like in comedy classes to, uh, like, I have no vertical leap. I just don't. Yeah. Even though I'm in great shape and all that stuff. So it would be useless for me. You need to do some plyometrics. Stop working those glamour muscles. Well, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm in it for the, the, the chicks. Yeah. That's the only reason I work out. The biceps. It's all about the um, biceps. But, you know, it would be useless for me to take a class on how to slam dunk because I just don't have the natural ability to do it. Yeah. So, you know, it's like in comedy, you know, fuck, you're either funny or you're not. You can't. And then I hear the the standard argument is, well, you can teach technique. Well, what good's a technique if you're not funny? Yeah. But, I mean, here's the other thing, though. I believe anyone can do anything. Ben Affleck, shitty actor for over a decade, crushed it with the town, crushed it with Argo, figured it out what he needed to do to do that. And there's also, I'm not going to say names here because it could ruin my career, but there's certain comics who um, learned technique and then had other people write for them. 
and then you know got huge got their own tv shows well i i would say in comedy it, it's really more who you know and who you're connected with you, you could be a shitty comic and still make it yeah i've always wanted to either be a talent coordinator or be a talent booker on any late night talk show because i would expose the world to the funniest people i know and yeah. none of them have been on tv so uh but, you know, speaking of TV, I got what in today's day and age, I think we could call it like what used to be like getting on Carson. Right. Um, on Twitter, you know, the midnight hashtag game. Right. Tell us about it. I'm not going to lie. I love you so much. And I love the audience so much. I just drank a whole bottle of water. I'm going to pee. All right. Craven has now taken over inappropriate Earl till I get back. All right. So tell us about At Midnight. All right. So At Midnight is uh, welcome to Inappropriate Craven. So at, so at Midnight is a talk show run by Nerdist. And uh, they do a hashtag game every night. And last night's hashtag was hashtag Americanize a movie quote. And I tweeted, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's unclear why we sent troops into Iraq. I got 52 retweets and 105 likes. Now, for someone with only 500 followers, this is an impressive feat, ladies and gentlemen. So um, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter... I'm the Craven, T H E C R A V E N, and you can check out my 52 retweet, 105 like tweet from last night. Well, yeah, and we're back. We're back live. Back from Morris Rat would say. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I love that at midnight uh, game. Uh, I think there, I did one uh, that got a fair amount of retweets or whatever with porn, uh, some porn. Thing. I mean, like ruin a porn or something like yeah, that. Like, yeah, like uh, turn a porn into a. Uh, children's story uh no some song do a porn song parody and, and name the group and i put a I think i want to touch myself by a jerry and the sandusky's uh, uh, that sandusky was out of control that guy oh man that guy just that's the that's the mouth of evil man oh good looking guy too i mean he was you know real a uh, mensch uh but let's get back to comedy schools scams yeah. hustles uh you, you know like i know they have bartending schools yeah did you I, go to one or yeah I went, I went to one not to become a bartender because my mom was like you're going to bartending school because you're a loser and i was like okay fine so i went it didn't help me i got a bartending job because i drank too much as a minor in bars but I mean, I, I imagine at least with a bartending school, you you would, I mean, you have to know the drinks. Uh, I mean, how many drinks can you make? Hundreds. You know, I I learned how to make hundreds. I make four hundred vodka sodas a night. Like, and when you do have to make mixed drinks, now they're all the bars individual mixed drinks that they make because that's the thing, craft cocktails. Right. So it's gotten to the point where like I learned how to make a Singapore sling, and I haven't made one in fifteen years. So <laughs> when people come to the bar and they're like Singapore sling, and I'm like, I have to, I'm like, hey Siri, how do you make a Singapore sling? Yeah. yeah. What do you ever watch that show uh, on Spike TV, uh, b Bar Rescue? 
No. Oh, you've never even seen it? No. Is that a Gordon Ramsay thing? It's a kind of a ripoff. It's like this Gordon Ramsay type. Uh, by the way, how many shitty cooks are still left? I mean, hasn't <laughs> he found them all? Yeah. No, I think at this point, man, they're just making clones, dude. He's got a clone factory of contestants out in the valley somewhere. Because I was watching... I watch Hell's Kitchen, and I was an eater on it in the first... Uh, in 07. Really? Oh, well, wait. I was... Was that season four and five or three and four? I was his assistant. Oh, really? Yeah, I was Gordon's assistant. I was driving him to and from set to his house. Well, I mean, I, I wanted to go because like, he can't be this big of a dick. This has to be a total pro wrestling act. And my guy... He was a dick on and off cameras to these contestants. Well, that's that's the thing. In real life, if he walked into this living room, he'd be the sweetest guy on the face of the earth. In a professional environment, he's like a drill sergeant. So in front of cameras and in a kitchen, um, even in his own kitchens, that's how he is. And he's like, that's how a kitchen's run. That's his thing. But I mean, like, I, I notice now, like... Like three of his places have been shut down. That these people that went Hell's Kitchen got, got to like. Oh yeah. But I mean, like, well, that's like American Idol winners, like albums. Like that's not how you pick someone who's great at things. But this, right? Yeah, no. But this season, they're not even announcing what the restaurant is. They're like, ah, oh, you just get a, a job running one of his restaurants. Like they've run out of places to put these shitty chefs. Exactly. So congratulations, you won Hell Kitchen. You're gonna be a Bussers at Barney, yeah, a busser yeah. at Barney's Beanery right now. You'll at get tipped out ten percent at the end of the night. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, America's Got Talent, uh, The Voice. I mean, you know, it just you can't find. You got to. You want to find the next great singer, comic. You got to go into the jungles and yeah, and yeah. And, and it's like I had great hope for the for the last comic standing, and I watched a little bit of the new one, and I saw comics on there that I know that I'm like, I don't think you're that great. Why are, how are you on TV? Like, fuck this. Well, I think it's still, at least this season, I think they picked more established acts. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't have the blooper reels, like, you know, the three weeks of, you know, open, crazy open micers. I mean, Boone Shakalaka was on a, yeah. an episode. Yeah. <laughs> Did he, does he use that as a credit? Oh, yeah. But that's the problem with that show. It's like you take someone like Eliza or Alonzo or, uh, I mean, I guess Dad Fan, you know, they, their build is Eliza from Last Comic Standing. Yeah. And then, well, I, Eliza's uh, fucking just a monster on stage. Oh, she's so, great. So good. But the, you get these people who bombed on the show, you know, Joey from Last Comic Standing, that kind of devalues her credit. Yeah, no, for sure. So I, I, I've never for really. Sure. And, and also, like, again, I, I don't agree with that because that whole like show the clips of the people who like did fucking poorly because like that could ruin a career. Like you put a first year comic on, of course he's going to bomb five years down the road that still exists on the internet. And they finally found their voice. That's a shitty thing to do. Especially well, if this is a show that's like made by the comic community, like, but I mean, even like the first, that show jumped the shark the first season when dad fan won, who by all accounts is a great guy and, and really funny. And I'm, I'm sorry, who, that yeah, I mean, well, he, but see, that's a guy who you think, oh, I've never heard from him since. He's still headlines, and uh, but you know, he was basically doing a recycled Bobby Lee act, not stolen jokes, but it was just same premises, and yeah. and it's like, and this is the guy who won. 
Yeah. You're going to tell me this guy's better than Rich Voss or Dave Mordell or uh, whoever. I, I forget it was on the first season, but it's yeah. like, you know, Ant, uh, you know, I mean, Ant's a pretty funny gay comic. Mm. And I only say that because he told me it was funny. But, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, that was palming right there. I just palmed to Ant. Yeah, he just did some palming. So some palming on the on an inappropriate Earl's podcast. Well, listen, you got you to gotta fake it till you make it. Yeah. That, that's my, uh, you know. I, Is this I, 4th of July or Palm Sunday? Yeah, well, it's Palm 4th, man. <laughs> yeah. We're combining. See how great this podcast has gone? I'm not going to lie to you, bro. You know, and you and I are an enigma because of, like we've known each other for years. Forever. But we've never had never really talked. Yeah, Uh, and I I I sent Carlos uh, Herrera a message on Facebook saying, "What the fuck do I ask him?" Yeah, because I really yeah I thought this would last a minimum or maximum half hour. I'm like, okay, he'll plug his stuff. We'll talk about pussy for a little bit, and we are at we are approaching an hour and twenty one minutes. Oh, I think we need to give the listener a break. You think it's time to wrap it up? Uh, No, no, fuck that. I like to drag out my podcast. (laughs) Excellent, (laughs) excellent. All right, well, in that case, I'm gonna be totally honest with the listeners here. I'm gonna be totally honest. I'm gonna give the podcast to Earl. Back to Earl for a minute because I have to use the bathroom. Okay, so yeah, yeah, we're gonna the bathroom's just right. uh, Don't move too fast around the dog because she gets a little nervous just right in that um, Lois see I told you you move fast Lois just made a lunge for Lois come on alright we're going to break down real fast while uh, the Craven is in the bathroom Uh, the Kiss album Crazy Nights which came out in uh, 1987 I'm doing this all off the top of my head Um, the producer on uh, Crazy Nights was the great uh, legendary uh, Ron Nevison who was uh, in demand in 1987 because he had completely resurrected uh, Hart's career. You know, Hart was kind of dead in the water, if you will, in the mid-80s, uh, early 80s. And uh, Kiss wanted him so bad, they delayed making uh, their next album after Asylum because they wanted to work with Ron Nevison. A lot of songs on Crazy Nights were uh, co-written uh, by the previously mentioned uh, Desmond Child. You know, him and Paul had a nice working relationship uh, starting in 1979 with the massive disco hit, I Was Made for Loving You, and uh, Kiss and Desmond Child uh, had a relationship ever since. Um, Had a couple big uh, videos on MTV, Turn On the Night, Crazy Nights, and the great uh, Kiss ballad, Reason to Live, and uh, if you like the Kiss uh, video for Reason to Live, you can bid on the Porsche in that video on eBay. It was Paul Stanley's Porsche, and uh, you know, go, so the Craven is just sitting back down, but go uh, listen to Crazy Nights. Great video. Don Barris from the Comedy Store actually did the audience warm-up for the Crazy Nights video, filmed on location at the Olympic Auditorium, just off the 5 Freeway, which is now a Korean church. Is that Don Barris from Windy City Heat? Don Barris from Windy City Heat. Oh that guy's a legend. Oh, he's uh, Jimmy Kimmel uh, warm-up live. He does the audience warm-up. He uh, closes out the show at the Comedy Store every night. Um, and he's a brilliant comic. He's got a big project coming in August. Uh, some uh, gay wedding, which is uh, relative to uh, uh, Windy City Heat. Uh, I'm not quite sure of the specifics, but uh, if you uh, follow Don Barris on Twitter, simply Don1, the number one, or follow him on Facebook, you Big big things happening in Don's life. And, uh, you know, I want my goal 
with this podcast is to have the audience go, we want to hear more of that guest. So we probably should tap it right now. What is your Twitter address? My Twitter address is The Craven. So it's that little circle A thing, the at The Craven, T-H-E-C-R-A-V-E-N. But also, I'm a, I'm a very personal dude. So if you want to be my friend on Facebook, just look up Jeremy Craven. Are you the only Jeremy Craven? No, there's a few, but I'm the only good-looking one. Okay, there yeah. you go. And it's and like Highlander. I'm going to kill all the others. And give the link again to the Indiegogo uh, project. Just go to Indiegogo.com in the little search box, type recovery, and you'll you'll see a big picture of my face up there that says recovery, and hit play on that video, you guys, because it's funny. And, you know, usually I'm against uh, promoting Kickstarters and, and things of that nature, but uh, do the, you know, it is hard to get things made in this town. Um, and uh, I think sometimes uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and, and whatever the third one is, I'm not remembering. Go that. fuck me. They, uh, IndiegoFuckYourself.com. Yeah. Uh, they have a bad rap because it's like, well, if you believe in your project so much, just put your own money into it. It's just not feasible to do that. I mean, these movies don't, even shorts, yeah. uh, cost but you know the fair amount you have to pay the crew and all that shit yeah, so I'm looking at twelve thousand dollars for 18 pages yeah and that's and that's a short so uh you know which is why i admire my friend and I, you might know him brian drolet i know the name he made uh, the movie dumbbells uh, okay. got it into theaters and and you know he did it all on his own but so please support the craven uh support inappropriate earl there's just a few ways you can do that actually uh i'm on twitter as well at Earl Skakel. There's only one Earl Skakel. E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. Same thing on Facebook. Uh, I'm, I just joined Instagram yesterday. Oh, yeah. Instagram, Earl Skakel. Yeah, uh, dick pics. I don't really, I do have a nice dick pic. I mean, uh, it's a double headshot. <laughs> um, and a lot of people ask me, well, Earl... You're a man in your mid-40s. What are you doing with a dick pic on your phone? And one night, uh, Jeff Richards, the great Jeff Richards, Saturday Night Live, Mad TV, said, Earl, what does your ex-girlfriend's pussy look like? And I thought that was kind of a rude question, even though he was kidding. So I took a dick pic. Oh. And I said, hey, Jeff, check out that. The negative space around this. That's what well, it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> then the great Stephanie Simbari and Jade Cotapretta put that picture on Instagram. and uh, Those girls. And Paige from the Improv saw it as well, because uh, Jeff showed it to her. Yeah. And I got a spot the next night, so there yeah, you go. Great. It's like a Hydra. <laughs> well, it's my biggest credit to date, other than uh, Bench Warmers 2006, so oh, uh, Netflix it. Uh, so please uh, go on uh, SoundCloud, where just inappropriate Earl, or for you Steve Jobs gobnob. We're still on iTunes and uh, leave a review, bad or good. I leave them all up. And, uh, you know, uh, at good reviews just help. You know, I'm trying to get to the, the Rogans and the Hardwicks and the Marins. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a long road to climb without help. And uh, support Jeremy Craven. This has been Inappropriate Earl. Monday, the great Bobby Brown, not the cosmetics uh, magnet, but the girl who was in the warrant video for Cherry Pie is coming in. And this is a girl, and I, you know, you might think this is a rude introduction, but she's pretty open about it. You know, she fucked Tommy Lee, obviously J.D. Lane from Warren, Star Search winner nine times. Slapped Whitney Houston. Oh, did she? 
No, that's different Bobby Brown. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Uh, gave uh, Whitney the crack pipe. Uh, you know, I just want to ask her how creepy was Ed McMahon on Star Search. I mean, you talk about a, that guy was a re- the ultimate Palmer. So that's coming up. Stephen Piercy coming up. Uh, Fred Curry from Cinderella. Uh, you know, we got some big things happening. Don Rickles, possibly, uh, which would be huge for me. He's my idol. Don, not Mindy. Yeah, Mindy Rickles. Uh, no, I've heard of Mindy Rickles. Everyone keeps asking me if I know her, but I don't. And that's got to be a tough gig to be Don Rickles' daughter. Yeah. Um, and because uh, I knew Don's, now this is going to bring it down, but I have to say this because I, you know, I'm sad. You know, I knew Don's uh, son, Larry, who passed away recently, which is crazy that, you know, Don Rickles would outlive his son. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, but, you know, I don't know Mindy Rickles. Could check out Mindy Rickles while you're at it. She's got to be remotely funny if Don's sperm created her. Don, you know, and please, my YouTube recommendation of the day is please, even if you're young, old, don't know anybody in the comedy world, please YouTube Foster Brooks roasting Don Rickles. It's the greatest five-minute roast you'll ever see. Hmm. And that's how roasting's done. We'll see you guys later. See you! See you!